Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Around the Coin. Today, our guest is Martin Froehler, the CEO of Morpher. Uh, Martin is one of the perfect people to start this business. He is a mathematician, veteran, quant, and former hedge fund manager. Uh, prior to Morpher, Martin was managing director of the quantitative research firm in Zurich and the CEO of a decentralized quantitative hedge fund in Silicon Valley. So he's had this mission for many years prior to starting Morpher. And Morpher is a company that has raised about eight and a half, nine million dollars. And they're trying to allow anyone everywhere to have free access to trade anything. Now it's a bold ambition, but they have made incredible progress in this direction. They want to allow all markets liquid 24-7, not dependent on any centralized exchange, uh, and allowing you to short and leverage with full liquidity. So they have a token that's out there, the MPH. Uh, we explain how the token works. We talked about his history. We talked about what crypto and decentralized trading will look like in the future uh, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here is Martin Froehler. Roller. All right. <laughs> Got it. I like a casual start. That's more my style instead of some grandiose uh, introduction. But uh, Martin, you're running this awesome company, uh, Morpher uh, is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, this seems like a path that you have been on for your entire career, having been in quant, you know, starting Idealab in uh, Austria or Switzerland, and then moving to the States, having started the quantitative hedge fund, uh, you've thought a lot about trading, middlemen's decentralization of the whole game. H how do you describe where we are today in terms of the landscape of trading? When you think about maybe if we segment it to just uh, uh, crypto or just uh, the stock market, do you think or do you see the majority of trades today being done through exchanges and that's slowly changing or is there an explosion of crypto trading and and because i think a lot of people myself included get blinded to think i talk to people like you or i see the crypto world and think that that's mass scale but where are we today realistically in terms of crypto trading i believe we are at the very beginning 
um, of everything. Uh, trading and investing per se is the biggest industry in the world. Uh, there are trillions in uh, derivative markets. It is the largest market. It generates uh, many, many hundreds of billions in annual revenue from fees. And it is controlled entirely by middlemen today. So the trading and investing industry is in the hands of uh, brokers, of exchanges, uh, of uh, hedge funds, of, of ETF issuing companies. And those are all middlemen who stand between the trader and their product. And I believe that the big shift that we are going to see in the next couple of years um, is the decentralization of this entire industry. Um, and um, essentially, uh, the, the, the replacement of this middleman with software. And that's exactly what blockchain is built for. So blockchain replaces middleman with code. And that is exactly the, the trend, I believe, that we're going to see in finance, in particular, in the next couple of years. Mm. So when you think about if you're 20 years old and you're thinking, I love trading, uh, maybe I'll go work for an exchange, but maybe I'll take a little bit higher of a risk and just start trading independently. Do you think knowing what you know about the trajectory of the industry of trading, do you have any views on what young people should think about, like in terms of the trajectory of their career? I think the, the most important thing is uh, learn, learn trading and investing. And the best way to learn trading and investing is simply uh, trying it out, uh, making your own experiences. That's very important. And today there are actually a lot of uh, ways uh, where you can try that out risk-free or almost risk-free. You don't have to manage a portfolio that's worth tens or hundreds of thousand dollars anymore. You can start. Uh, this can start with, uh, with zero fee brokers. Uh, there are many, uh, popping up in the US, but also in Europe. Um, where this can even start, uh, with uh, a platform like ours, where, um, you even get a free token to trade with and just can, uh, can learn on the markets and experiment with just a couple of, of dollars, um, worth of a portfolio size that you're managing with that. So learning, um, uh, is certainly the most important thing. And then, Find out what really interests you. Some people are very much in, uh, into uh, traditional finance, into borrowing, lending, into uh, trading uh, bonds or trading commodity markets or things like that. That's all, all fine. Um, younger people uh, tend to be um, attracted towards cryptocurrencies because it's, I guess, the newest and the most booming uh, industry. And it's also the one uh, that has the the lowest barrier to entry so it's it's rather uh, simple to open an account it's a cryptocurrency exchange and to get started with bitcoin or ethereum with just a couple of hundred dollars so that's what mm, i would recommend good advice people play around experiment have fun yeah yeah take it take it light and learn um i want to ask you when the when you moved to the us and you started uh, effectively, as my understanding was, it was prior to the crypto, prior to entering crypto, your vision was to build a decentralized uh, hedge fund. Is that, am I mi mincing words here? How, how do you describe what, what happened prior to Morpher? Yeah, so um, as you've mentioned already, I've been on that trajectory or journey uh, pretty much all my, my entire life, my professional career at least. Um, I personally have started trading uh, stocks, U.S. stocks in high school um, and later uh, studied mathematics in Austria and uh, joined the quantitative hedge fund after my graduation. So I turned my, my hobby into, into my uh, profession. 
um, and developed quantitative trading algorithms for U.S. equity markets, but also for commodity futures. Um, and um, I love doing that because um, it allows you as a mathematician to apply a lot of your knowledge, which is rare in our field. So most mathematicians end up doing uh, something completely different or only utilizing a tiny percentage of what they have learned. But in quantitative finance, you can really apply most of what you've learned on university. So I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, later I moved for the same quantitative hedge fund uh, to Switzerland, to Zurich, uh, where we have one of the best uh, technical schools here in Europe, ETH Zurich. Um, and we were uh, recruiting and uh, I was training uh, novice quants in Zurich from ETH. Um, and that was the time when I started to realize how inefficient uh, quantitative finance as a, as a whole industry at the end of the day still is. Um, because we were uh, a relatively small shop in, in Zurich. Uh, we didn't have a big uh, name. Um, and even at our shop, uh, we had roughly 100 applicants uh, per uh one or two quants that and we ended up hiring at the industry uh, at our, our uh, company so even if i'm i'm the best recruiter in the world which i'm certainly not um i have to send away at least uh, nine people who would make excellent quants uh, and they end up oftentimes in other industries and their uh, talent for uh, writing algorithms for writing quant uh, algos is essentially wasted if they're working at an insurance company or a bank and doing something completely different. Uh, so that's a clear inefficiency. And uh, quantitative finance within the asset management industry is, in my opinion, still the future uh, because it takes emotion out of uh, predicting the markets and it has the, the most consistent and the most high-performing returns. Um, I only want to mention Renaissance Technologies at this point, Jim Simons, who is also a mathematician and he really revolutionized the field. So quantitative finance is the future, but we're wasting a lot of our talent. And that is essentially what uh, prompted me to um, to try and solve this inefficiency by uh, founding a company. Uh, and uh, that company was Quantiex, and it is still around today. And I moved to the United States uh, to build that company because Silicon Valley is still one of the best, if not the best place in the world to build such a company. Um, and that company was a decentralized quantitative hedge fund. So we... Uh, provided everyone with free data and, and free tools to build, create trading algorithms. And then the best, most successful algorithms would be funded with capital from institutional investors. So as a marketplace, essentially, uh, Quantix was intended to function in a way that um, quants develop, regardless of where they are in the world. They could be in Europe, they could be in the US, they could work in completely different fields. They could work in, we had successful aerospace engineers, for example. Uh, we had um, economists, so we, we had a, a broad range. We had a university professor who was very successful. We had a broad range of backgrounds in our uh, decentralized quant community. And the best algorithms that performed most consistently were funded with capital from institutional investors. So that was uh, the decentralized quantitative hedge fund that I've built up uh, in the US prior to building Morpha, which is, so to say, the next logical evolution of my journey. Uh, because uh, the the most uh, the, the constant question that I got when I was building uh, my previous company from from my quants was, uh, how can I trade my own trading algorithms? And the answer was always, unfortunately, you cannot. So you develop a great trading algorithm, but you cannot trade it because uh, we were trading commodity futures primarily, and you need a lot of capital in order to get started with these markets. So they are usually out of reach of regular retail investors. And then uh, 
because of our business model, and it was the only feasible model that we could implement, we could only uh, let institutional investors, so qualified investors, invest <coughs> in uh, in the trading algorithms. And that's only a, a tiny minority of, of the general population, and certainly oftentimes not the people who develop the trading algorithms. So they could not uh, trade themselves their own algorithms. So um, I learned that way that the markets are usually out of reach of regular investors, oftentimes. Uh, and that's why I've set out to found Morpher. And this is what I'm working on now since 2018. Yeah, I, I appreciate the background. I want to ask you a couple of things there. Uh, is the reason why it's out of reach because of a U.S. regulation in particular, the accredited investor line in the mm -hmm. sand that says you can't, and the rule specifically is that you can't put money into a, a hedge fund to be managed or because no, typical people can non-accredited investors can invest into the market. What is the what is the regulation there? Yeah, so usually um, uh, alternative investments um, are typically uh, reserved to accredited investors. So investing in a, in a startup, for example, something that does not trade on a, a regulated stock exchange is usually out of reach. And the same goes for a lot of investment advisors. So if you're uh, uh, if you're managing a fund, a hedge fund, uh, you usually uh, can only accept accredited investors into that vehicle because it is considered to be riskier than just uh, trading a regular stock on the exchanges. So regulation plays a part in it. Uh, another important part is, though, that uh, the markets that we were trading um, uh, were some of them were futures markets, and the trade on the on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And one single contract of a gold future is worth several hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on, on when you look. Um, so that means that you need a lot of initial capital in order to participate in those markets. So some of the most interesting markets like gold or oil or uh, gasoline in, in these days, they are simply out of reach uh, because the, the single contract size is so big on the CME um, that as a regular investor, you usually don't have the money to build up a balanced portfolio and invest in more than one futures contract uh, simultaneously. So that's another, uh, another reason why markets are out of reach. Yeah. And we must not forget in the US and in Europe, we are privileged that we enjoy that level of market access. In many regions of the world, you can only dream of uh, trading a Tesla stock. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't quite appreciate that. I always tend to look at the preventative mechanisms like regulation and think, oh, why do we have this regulation in place? Can we get rid of it and watch the economy flourish? But in reality, your, your point is, is super important that if we don't have access in the first place, then regulation is irrelevant. Um, when people were building these algorithms, <clears throat> uh, were they, would investors decide to put money into the algorithms that were performing the best? I assume it would just be an open market because just because an algorithm has performed great doesn't necessarily mean it will. Uh, so it, was, it wasn't as if like there was a fund and the money would just be pumped into the top performing algorithm, I assume. Yeah, uh, we started initially as a marketplace, uh, so letting investors uh, decide, but that also um, was difficult from a compliance or a regulation perspective because uh, we had to put out a lot of disclosure materials for every individual trading algorithm that we were offering, um, and that was just information overflow. So at the end of the day, we then decided to uh, to bundle certain algorithms and to eventually uh, start an investment vehicle of our, our own, so to say, with, with Quantix. Uh, but 
yeah, regardless of of um, uh, of, of how you look at it, uh, Quantix is it was a niche product for very smart people who can write trading algorithms and very rich people who want to invest a lot of money. So the minimum investment was north of a million. Um, but that's not the goal uh, that I'm pursuing. And my, my goal is really to open up trading and investing to everyone. I believe that everyone on the planet should have the ability, the opportunity uh, to get access to the markets. And ideally in a decentralized uh, way that is permissionless. So that's where the whole crypto um, angle comes in. Um, that is the much, much bigger problem than uh, solving for a niche industry uh, like quantitative finance, which is a very attractive niche, yeah. to be fair, uh, but it doesn't solve uh, the problems of 99% of the people. In the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management, scams, and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, it's the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Yeah, you know, I completely resonate with that. Uh, and I love the product. I got in there and it's not available to deposit or withdrawal from people in the US. Is that, I believe that's the case. Is that because of the structure of the token system? Or maybe we'll use that as a segue to describe as what I understand the token system is Tell me, tell me how this is incorrect. But you have tokens that exist. They're burned when people make predictions. Sorry, they are created when people make predictions about the market. If those predictions turn out to be true, then those tokens are now created and allocated to that person's account or wallet. If they're not true, then the tokens are burned. So there's a constant creating and burning mechanism of the tokens. Is the fact that the tokens are like synthetically connected to ethereum and created and given to people that it's uh, not permissible in the u.s or where what specifically is the line in the sand that you mm -hmm. observe that said you couldn't you know build in the u.s yeah. so you're right uh, the the we have chosen not to offer our product currently in the u.s and it's not so much that we think that it's not uh, that it's forbidden in the United States. We think that our design, uh, our um, entire uh, trading platform, our way to set this up, um, the counterparty lessness of our system, so to say, uh, should make it permissible in the in the U.S. as well. Uh, but there is a lot of legal or regulatory uncertainty, unfortunately, in the United States, and that's why we, purely from a business perspective, uh, we have chosen. Initially, in the first couple of years of the existence of our platform, not to offer it in the United States yet, uh, simply because laws and regulations are 
unfortunately they're in their infancy but, uh, or uh, not even present and and we see this now with the ripple trial for example uh, that's now going on for quite a while and that actually hit the company ripple uh, many years of of uh, being into into the markets and then having a life a product a life platform out there so there's a lot of regulatory and legal uncertainty unfortunately so that is why we have chosen uh, initially at least not to offer our platform in the US uh, we still have um, the conviction internally that what we do would also be permissible under US law uh, simply because we are a purely uh, a betting platform essentially at the end of the day um, you you uh, as you've uh, pointed out already you if you want to trade a market on Morpha that ex essentially just means you uh, purchase token uh, from us so the token is the is the the Morpha token is the settlement currency that we use um, you purchase token, then you allocate these token on a market that you want to bet on. So, for example, the Apple stock. Um, if your bet is correct, if Apple move goes up 10%, you get 10% more token. If your bet is incorrect, you lose 10% of your token if Apple goes 10% against you. Uh, and these token are simply created by the smart contract or they are destroyed by the smart contract. So, as you've mentioned already, uh, there is constant new issuance of, of a token or a constant burning of token, depending on the quality of your prediction as an individual trader. And that also means that you're not trading with someone else on the other side. So that is actually not a broker and it is not an exchange uh, because there is no one else on the other side. On any traditional uh, trading uh, um, venue, brokerage or whatever, you have uh, a middleman or someone who is selling you the stock if you want to buy it. That's not the case with Morpher. So you could be the only person in the world wanting to trade a certain stock and it would still work simply because the smart contract can issue currency to or burn currency uh, to settle your bet. So yes, we believe that this is also permissible under existing uh, United States laws. Um, however, we have chosen to set up a shop in Europe because regulations are much more clearer and well-defined here in Europe. Uh, there is an, an EU-wide framework that specifies which instruments qualify as securities, so as financial instruments in Europe. And uh, we, are, we know that we are compliant with what we do here in Europe under existing laws, and that is more than we would have currently in the United States. With mm. that being said, we're planning to, to go to the US, and uh, the more decentralized we become Yay. as a platform and as a service, um, the the less risk will it be for us to offer the services. And the last centralized component of our platform at the moment is our Oracle. So the Morpha uh, exchange needs to know what happens uh, in real time with stock markets, with commodity markets, so with the prices essentially of the assets that we offer for trading. Uh, and that service is called Oracle. And we have uh, created and built our own proprietary Oracle that we use now for over one and a half years in production. Uh, but that component is still centralized. So a regulator could come and say, hey, uh, the data comes from you, so you are to some extent the counterpart. Once that is decentralized as well, and this is what we're working on right now, uh, this is an, an unstoppable and um, independently executing system that lives entirely on the blockchain. And uh, then it is as decentralized as Bitcoin or Ethereum. And at that point, uh, we will be able to open it to the entire world. That's one thing. And the other thing is uh, we're also currently thinking of uh, offering markets that are clearly not securities or that don't have underlying securities uh, as a markets in the US. And just to give you an example, this could be real estate prices in your neighborhood. 
um, that would be permissible in, in the US, uh, to my knowledge as well. Uh, you, we would just have an index for, uh, property real estate prices in, say, New York, in Manhattan or something like that. That's an index and that you can trade that because there is no underlying security, uh, that would be regulated otherwise. The same goes for, um, yeah, throwing out ideas here. Yeah. The cannabis spot price or, um, certain watches, uh, or uh, sports shoes or whatever. So there's a lot of, um, funny stuff that we can do. Nice. <laughs> well, I hope. I hope soon you guys are able to completely de decentralize it and allow people in the U.S. from a selfish perspective to be able to get in there. Um, mm -hmm. That's interesting. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I feel that the U.S. is dragging its feet. I would hope that they at least spend their time and come up with a reasonable policy. The worst case scenario would be that they take a long time and then come up with a terrible policy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's decentralized. So when it is decentralized, anyone anywhere could trade anything effectively I think of the ideal trading market as uh, you have all markets included. It's it's twenty four seven. It's not dependent on another uh, uh, exchange. You can short each market. Um, you have high leverage, and there's a lot, there's ton of liquidity. Mm -hmm. That's the north star. It seems like for you guys. Yeah. Um, when you when, when you think about the the so just a just a wrap a conceptual framework around what you've built. The token is effectively a more like a betting uh, oracle, or uh, it's, it's like the house when you bet, as opposed to you're not taking on number one, you're not actually trading the equity itself. So I'm not. There's no exchange that's connected to it, like uh, Robinhood, that then connects to some other exchange that then actually has on record a, a purchased percentage of Apple stock. You're really just saying, do I think it's going to go up or down, and then. The house is what grants tokens. And when I think about the return, so if, if I said, I think the market is going to, if I made a relatively low risk bet and everyone, a ton of, uh, MPH tokens were created, then I have to beat the market, right? Because mm -hmm. when everyone is issued tokens, just like inflation, you have to, you have to beat mm -hmm. inflation in order to realize gains. Um, so do you think of it m more? Would you use the word betting as opposed to trading? Yeah, technically the term uh, betting is more descriptive. Uh, betting without a counterparty or betting against a smart contract, um, permissionless betting, so to say, um, that would be more descriptive. Uh, that's correct. So in crypto terms, one could uh, call us also a prediction market. Um, so essentially, you mm. you predict the future occurrence of of something. Like Apple goes up, yeah, that's your prediction, and you put uh, some token on that. And uh, if you're right, you receive more token. So in, from a crypto perspective, from a crypto lens, uh, this would be a prediction market, probably. Um, yes. Uh, so that's that's exactly where we come where we are coming from. Um, this would be. The right, right phrase. Mm. I think. Yeah. How, how about uh, when you think about new segments or verticals to launch into from a, from a product perspective? I think sports betting mm -hmm. to me is just it's just like there's a large market, but it's really yeah. it's quite people who are into sports betting are into sports betting. They're not also in large part trying to you know short Apple stock mm -hmm. or you know, do some other like they they think about sports they know sports they know all the details of the baseball and the de is that something you would just slowly launch it, where if you were to launch sports betting it would be just here's another thing you could trade or do you think about it as uh, productization like we have we have our sports betting interface and it's completely separate like a separate product how, how do you think about launching new 
segments like that. Yeah, I think actually that's our superpower that we can offer all the markets um, that are already out there. Uh, but uh, even beyond that, so we can turn markets liquid or create markets uh, that essentially nobody else can offer or that are no, no, nowhere else tradable. Because all we need uh, in order to create a market is a data feed. We need a, a real-time pricing. It doesn't even have a need to be pricing. So we could even, uh, for example, uh, turn tomorrow's weather into into a prediction market on the platform. It would be too trivial to predict for us to do it. Um, so tomorrow's temperature or something like that. Um, that's too trivial to predict. Um, but hypothetically, we can turn anything into a market. So we can... Uh, turn markets liquid that are currently out of reach of regular people. And uh, real estate is a, is a great example of that. And we believe that this is, uh, has uh, more potential uh, from a product perspective uh, for us than just recreating what uh, other products that are already out there. Uh, but with that being said, yeah, uh, sports betting is a huge sector and uh, we are also looking into this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you set, when I think of sports betting, you know, say you have a Super Bowl game, there's odds that are set by the house. So I can put a hundred US dollars in exchange for, uh, you know, team A winning, or I can put a hundred dollars for team B, but the payoffs would be different based on the calculated likelihood of outcomes. Is that something that is done in a decentralized manner? Can you, how does that work? Um, yeah, so essentially, uh, it's not done in a decentralized manner. Uh, we, uh, we are a layer two, uh, to traditional spot exchanges. So we don't think of exchanges as our competitors. Actually, we depend on exchanges. Uh, so we need in order to, to have a virtual Apple stock on a platform, uh, we need a stock exchange that actually trades Apple and that determines the price of Apple because there is no price discovery on Morpha. And the same would be true for sports betting. So we would need um, a ratio, a quota or something like that, or the odds essentially, um, and in order to be able to offer that as a market. So it is important for us uh, to have uh, spot exchanges like it is for every other uh, derivative or layer two um, that also depends on a functioning spot market or ex an external pricing. So in our case, again, it doesn't have to be a market. Uh, it just must must be a data feed that is um, somewhere um, put together and then in a fair and and uh, way that's that's not manipulable, easily manipulable. Um, that's essentially what we need. Yeah, and uh, yeah, then we can turn it into into a market. So we depend on exchanges, and derivatives can always be orders of magnitude bigger than the underlying spot markets. Okay, in so in the case of say weather. Uh, so mm -hmm. say we, say we said, I said, I, I want to bet that tomorrow's going to be very hot. Uh, I put a hundred dollars down deep, the reward for that. Who, how is that determined? Is it a, yeah. Is it set by the house? Is it set by Morpher? Yeah. So in the case of, of weather, it would be too trivial. So for example, uh, but let's, let's entertain the idea. So in the case of, of weather, you could, for example, bet on, uh, the temperature tomorrow at, uh, say, noon uh, in, in your region, in your zip code, yeah? Um, and um, if the forecast is uh, 
20, I don't know, yeah, in, in Fahrenheit, yeah, 60, de- 60 degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> or something like that, yeah, uh-huh. making, making stuff up, or let's say 70, yeah, um, then we would just subtract 70 from the actual temperature that we have, and then you're either above or below the forecast, and uh, then you would get uh, money, depending on whether you have been right or not, uh, with respect to the forecast and your bets, yeah. So that would be a way how these markets could work. Uh, but that's a very complicated uh, example and one that we're actually not thinking of of introducing mm. uh, because the uh, one parameter for us to introduce a market is that it needs to be um, not trivial to predict, not easy to predict. So it needs to be mathematically close enough to a random walk process uh, that you cannot simply uh, go in and mint token every day because otherwise our economy wouldn't work. So if it's trivial to win on a market, that means we would have more and more uh, token over time and everyone would have to beat that uh, inflation rate in order to make a profit and that would make the platform less attractive to everyone else uh, who wants to do some serious betting on on some hard to predict markets mm. so by trivial you mean the the degree of success is high yeah the degree of success uncertainty and uh is, is very high yeah. mm-hmm. and, and so you would therefore deduce real estate and commodities markets uh, equities, these things are more difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. are, are they more difficult? I guess it would depend on the bet, right? It would say, you know, if I think Apple's going to be, you know, the same price tomorrow as it is today, that's mm-hmm. highly likely to be true. It, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to understand is what is, what determines the reward for my success? So if I say Apple's going to be at a thousand dollars, uh, per share tomorrow, if I'm right, do I, how what what determines how much I get for being correct? Yeah, so uh, in order to bet on Apple, you purchase more for tokens. So let's assume you purchase one token for uh, one cent today, um, and you bet a uh, hundred dollars worth of token on the Apple stock. Um, so you purchase ten thousand token. You you put them on Apple. Apple goes up uh, tomorrow by say three percent. Uh, so you would end up uh, with three percent more token. In this oh, case, 10,300 token. And then you would sell the token on a crypto exchange to realize your gain. If you really want to trade just for one day, uh, you would have to buy and sell the token, buy the token today, sell them tomorrow, um, and then realize your gain. The additional risk that you have on Morpha is, of course, that uh, the token's price can also change. Um, it can change either in your direction or adversely for you. So that's an additional risk. So you can think of uh, trading on Morpha as uh, trading a stock that's denominated in a foreign currency, uh, like trading a, a stock uh, in Europe as an American. Um, you would also have not just the risk of the stock, but also the, the risk of the uh, dollar versus the euro, for example. And that is your your return at the end of the day. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting, interesting dynamic there. Uh, when, when you think about mathematics applied in trading, uh, what, what I imagine that there's a spectrum of uh, effectiveness for people who study math and quant trading. What tends to be the areas where highly complex, like PhD level math is practical and serves an advantage uh, from those who are just simply, you know, doing more simple trades. Like where, where in the market is, it, does the rubber meet the road for the higher nerdy math guys? <laughs> right. 
I believe uh, pretty much everywhere. And the, the more you uh, you work in quantitative finance, the less you want to trade discretionary. Uh, so, so or discretionarily on, on a discretionary basis, uh, simply because you know um, that the odds are generally stacked against you and you know how really hard it is uh, to develop a trading system that consistently beats or outperforms the market. Um, and you know that if you're trusting just your gut feeling, uh, you will probably be wrong as often as you're right. Uh, but um, actually, risk management and money management works against you. Even if you have a, a winning ratio of, say, uh, 51 to 49, uh, you're still losing in the long run. Uh, so you, you really need to, to, um, to build a system that consistently wins, that consistently outperforms uh, the fees and the commissions and the slippage that you pay uh, for for trading on the markets, um, and yeah, you know, to get back to your question, I believe that that's that applies for pretty much every market and every trading. Um, so I would I would want to, so if I had to manage money again professionally, I would only uh, want to do that in a, in a quantitative manner, regardless of if I, I'm trading uh, commodities or equities uh, or cryptocurrencies. I would dare say that with um, with commodities and with equities, it's even harder to trade non-quantitatively because the markets are very efficient, because there are many many participants, and um, a lot of uh, yeah smart money is is also involved in the markets uh, who really make use of every tiny uh, inefficiency in the markets. Uh, quantitative trading firms, for example, yeah, um, and that it that it is very hard, or th- through the actions of these participants, it becomes very hard. Uh, to actually have an edge in these markets. Mm. So I would imagine that when I think about the degree at which a mathematical expertise is helpful and the ability to program uh, algorithmic trading, it would be it would be when there's a market that has a greater volume or higher liquidity. So there's more. Maybe they've been around for a longer period of time. There's more data. I mean, do you think of it as a data? opportunity. Whereas if I'm investing in, say, early stage startups, it's difficult to quantify a, a business when they're just very young or the, the, we don't know the potential for a completely new disruptive model. Mm-hmm. Is that something? I mean, even in crypto, there's a lot of projects that have, you, if you were to ignore the non-quantitative parts of the project, then you're missing out on a big part of the assessment opportunity. Is, does that resonate as true with you? I mean, Certainly, as crypto becomes Absolutely. more proliferated, there's more data and the projects yeah. are more stable. But yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it it is uh, fair to say that uh, quantitative finance uh, requires data. So data is the oil on which uh, the industry of quantitative finance uh, runs and operates. So the 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 more data, the the better the the resolution of the data is. The the more data, the more markets I have available. Uh, the more robust of a model I can build with it. Um, and crypto is uh, probably at this stage still comparable to early stage startups, uh, to be fair. Uh, but early stage startups uh, where valuation is tricky, uh, but they can trade it, be traded in real time. So you can think of that like uh, in the dot, before the dot com bubble, um, that you are able to invest into any internet company, more or less. Yeah? And then that's, that would be the equivalent of, of the crypto space uh, today. There are a lot of ideas out there. Um, some will make it. Some will make it really big. Uh, many will fail. Uh, but you get a pricing of of uh, how well they do in real time, and and that is the exciting opportunity today. 
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. When uh, when people get into quantitative trading, so say somebody had been studying for maybe two three years and they are doing this you know, seriously, what are the techniques or the uh, tactical approaches when when you think about uh, quantitative or mathematical trading? Is it? I mean, maybe you can enlighten me because I'm really not familiar. But are there? I would imagine that you could analyze past data. You could make trajectory and algorithmic determinations based on um, mathematical trajectories of where the the dots and lines are going. Are there other mental models or mathematical models that you could <laughs> teach me? I mean, just give me an overview of like, what, what would yeah. be a, what would be like a, uh, like you show up to class day one, quant trading, mm-hmm. and this is, these are like the basic things that mm-hmm. a person should know. Yeah. Essentially, quant trading is uh, the attempt to find an anomaly uh, in the data um, that is consistent, consistent over time and consistent also to a certain extent in magnitude. So it's really like um, economists often believe that uh, the markets are just a random walk and you cannot predict them in any uh, way or form. That's even true today in, in some of the economic literature. Yeah? And, and uh, that is actually not true. Uh, just looking at the chart of the most successful quant funds would tell uh, everyone in, in 101 already that that is not true. So um, it's it's uh, the, the search for anomaly, anomalies that um, are repeatedly there in the data. And then, uh, of course, exploitable anomalies, because some anomalies are so small uh, that you cannot reasonably trade them, uh, simply because uh, the, the execution costs, slippage, commissions um, would not allow you to trade them, or you could just trade them with a tiny, tiny amount of capital and it's simply not worth it. So that's basically what quants are after. Quants are looking for anomalies in the data. Um, and there, the methods how to find these anomalies are countless. Uh, so there are uh, people from from various backgrounds who are very successful in quantitative finance. This can be your regular mathematician, this can uh, who, who maybe applies some time series analysis or uh, econometric methods or something like that, or probabilistic statistical methods. This can be your aerospace engineer. This can uh, be someone with a physics background uh, who <clears throat> applies some uh, some some uh, chaos equations or something like that for chaotic systems. Um, on on that, yeah, there are people experts in uh, in. Um, natural language proce- processing that have revolutionized the field of quantitative trading in its early days. So you can apply really all the methods that are out there in mathematics to try and detect these anomalies. But to get back to 101, uh, so what you would probably do initially um, if, you, if you're training a quant is um, f- try to find a trend-following algorithm or try to find a mean-reverting algorithm. So a trend-following is nothing else but an anomaly where you have um, the market rises for a certain period of time, and then it tends to continue uh, going up or going down for that matter. So uh, if you have an update, it's more likely that you have an, an, an update again or, or something like that. Or if, if you have an 
three up weeks in a row means usually you get a, a 75% chance to a fourth or something like that. Yeah. So those are not anomalies that you can find in the data, maybe depending on the market. Um, and that you can try and build a system around it. And then the task is to, um, fit it on the past, but not to overfit it. And that is really where things get tricky because oftentimes you think you have an effect, uh, but you were just, um, uh, fitting it to past data because the more degrees of freedom you allow your system to have, the easier it is to perfectly describe the past, but the less predictive quality your system will have. So the, the, the holy grail of quantitative finance is to find a system that has a robust uh, anomaly that is consistent over time and requires only very few parameters to describe that anomaly. Mm, robust and consistent over time with few parameters to describe that anomaly. And that, I imagine, is going to be like... Uh, like a target that many people will see. So there's also an element of you want to have some way that you came across this insight that others wouldn't have seen it. Otherwise, it would be traded out of opportunity. That is also correct. So the the technical indicators that used to work pretty well. So back at the turtle traders when they were inventing their RSIs and ADXs and then all of that, they, you can test that on historical data. It really used to work pretty well um, in, in the early years. So in the 70s, in the 80s, that was uh, top-notch cutting edge. We didn't have computers or not every trader had a computer back then. Um, so you, you really had an edge with those methods. Uh, but over time, the more people have access to these methods, uh, the less of an effect it actually is in the markets. That doesn't mean that the tool, uh, the RSI as a tool, is obsolete. Um, you just need to find uh, your own way to, to model the RSI in a way that it actually describes an inefficiency. Mm. And, and in chess, I know, I, I believe this is still true, is that the, the best chess algorithm combined with one of the world's best chess players is better than another chess algorithm. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's still true, actually, <laughs> but at one point that was true. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> eventually that would just human brains would become irrelevant and that the, the algorithms would be so good. Uh, but with that, we, at, at least at the moment, we provide some marginal benefit. Uh, is that the case with trading? I mean, do you, do you feel like the ideal uh, algorithm it encompasses a sophisticated mathematical, mathematical basis, but it has a, a, a partnership with a human to interpret the non-quantifiable world situation? Or do you think yes, we're no, just I think, um, I think we are not there yet that uh, computers invent quantitative trading algorithms and make uh, humans obsolete. This is tried often with uh, with machine learning or, or other artificial intelligence methods. Um, there is no, to my knowledge at least, uh, no super quantitative hedge fund that has mastered this technique um, and now dominates the markets and everyone else uh, has not a chance anymore. So humans are still very good at uh, coming up with these effects and and building models around uh, them, finding patterns uh, that machines would not yet think of, if you will. So, so, so to put it simply, um, which is also the reason why all the most uh, successful quantitative hedge funds have all uh, hundreds of physicists or mathematicians uh, working for them. Um, so they are not yet obsolete. And uh, I believe in the foreseeable futures, they also won't be obsolete because ultimately what drives a market is the sum of all market participants' decisions. And uh, many of them are still based on human emotions after all, uh, because humans have greed and humans panic. And uh, those are uh, simply patterns that you will have in the markets for as long as humans trade. 
Mm. Maybe it's a limitation of the the data input. Like if you think of human brains as computers, we're 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 not perfect computers. But one thing we do better than computers is we can interpret non-quantifiable data that's not in bits and zeros or ones and zeros on in, we can we can translate that into some some measurable you know action like i see i watch elon musk get some stage and it's like he's really passionate everyone's cheering these these employees clearly have high morale and i know that morale means people work harder more productive more productive and and i and i think that the stock is going to go up like unless i don't see how given given that piece of information say like a conference or something you can interpret because there's i mean if we're measure ultimately what we're measuring is humans value on these items. Like we're saying, how much is the Tesla stock going to go up? Well, it, the fact that it goes up is determined by the company's, pro- unless all companies are all machines and no one is employed, it's always, there's always going to be the human element to the, the likelihood of success or trajectory in a given company. Uh, yeah. I, so I, I, that's where I feel like, oh boy, is mm-hmm. it, is it possible that that quantitative trading becomes the majority or is that just a, a gap in the quantitative market surface area for the foreseeable future? I don't know. I think the the percentage of uh, quantitative finance or quantitative trading on the markets will constantly increase. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that um, that people become obsolete because someone has to build these uh, machines or these quantitative trading algorithms. And it is also a big misconception to believe that uh, once you've built a quantitative trading algorithm, it will run forever and just be a money printing machine. That's not true. Uh, you m- might have been the first one or one of the first ones who discovered an anomaly, but uh, hundreds or even thousands of, of smart quants uh, worldwide are trying to find exactly the same thing that you find. And maybe they describe it a little differently, but in, in three to four years, that effect is probably gone and you're back at square one and you have to invent a new system. So someone needs to build the efficient machines that trade the markets. And that in the foreseeable future to me is still going to be a human. But you're also right that, um, yeah, things are worth what, uh, what, uh, peop- the, the value that people attribute to them. Uh, and that's uh, nowhere uh, more true than it is in crypto. Uh, also there, yeah, the entire network effects, the entire cryptocurrency industry, every uh, crypto out there uh, has exactly the value that people attribute to it. And uh, every crypto out there lives off its network effect. So the more people attribute the value to it, um, the, the more valuable it becomes. That's that's Matt's yeah. law. And that is very true in crypto as well. But it also applies to traditional markets, and Tesla is a very good example in traditional markets, uh, or also Apple, where uh, there is really a cult behind the brand, and people are actually super excited about uh, about that brand and about the CEO of that brand and the innovation that they do and, and their products. Um, but the same is true for crypto, yeah, and and that's for for Bitcoin very true, and also for Ethereum and for a couple of other big projects as well, or good projects. Mm. It's almost like the far, there's a, there's a spectrum here where you have, uh, like practical value determining the, 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 the value of something. So, um, you know, take a, a car, for instance, a car has a very measurable impact on my life. Like I can calculate the time it would take for me to take public transit or the cost to take an Uber. And so I can pretty squarely place a value in it and in my life and things that i feel are very commoditized are very 
efficiently priced into people's individual lives. On the other side of the spectrum, if you take this the other way, there, this is where I feel NFT, in NFTs live today, is if I create a piece of art, and art generally speaking, but mm-hmm. particularly NFTs because they allow pricing and indexing and algorithmic trading. So if you think about that, there, there's no intrinsic value that a piece of art provides to my, to my life. It's not to say it doesn't provide value, but this, the value it provides to me may be way different than to you. So it's, it's an interpersonal, it's like the, it's like whatever my psychology needs from this piece, it's valuable to me. Mm-hmm. D- do you feel that there's a, like algorithms flourish on one end of the spectrum versus the other. Certainly they have traditionally have access to data on the more commoditized markets. Mm-hmm. But now that NFTs are allowing free trade of more, I don't know if you'd call it superficial or subjective assessment of value. Um, it's almost like the, uh, the algorithms are going to be reverse engineering the human mind and, and psychology where it's like <laughs> trying to determine what things are worth. <laughs> I don't know if you thought about that at all. Yeah, and I think they are really bad at it. So um, I wouldn't create <laughs> NFTs algorithmically uh, because it you don't have data how to build your algorithm with in in the first place, and then it is super hard to predict uh, what um, humans value, and uh, it's also very discretionary. So uh, why is one CryptoPunk worth more than the other? Yeah, you don't know that, and and why uh, why CryptoPunks and why Board Monkey Yacht Club and not something else? Yeah, so this is. This is really something where a machine would always have difficulty to struggle uh, or would, would struggle with, yeah, difficulty to predict. Um, out of all the NFT projects out there, why do exactly these two um, make it? Yeah? Um, and then, you, of course, you could look at, at something like, okay, how much traction does it get? How big does the network get early on? How early on is the project compared to others? So how much competition is there in the space and things like that? But it's virtually impossible to train an algorithm uh, because an algorithm needs to have seen that already in order to be able to predict it the next time. Yeah, and, and if it's a first, then it's it's almost impossible to, to predict. So with something that is super subjective, like uh, art um, uh, or, or collectibles, so baseball cards or something like that, super hard for uh, for computers um, and something that is has a lot of data um, and basically operates uh, forever in, in the same, um, under the same set of rules, under the same patterns. Um, yes, you can use that for quantitative trading. So, so stocks, commodities, those types of, mm. of, of markets, you can use those. So but, mm-hmm. Would you say that humans have an advantage over computers in trading art and items that don't have, what would you call it, practical real-world implementation value where you know this this board ape is uh it's not why does it why does a machine why does a computer trip up there a mathematical model it's for lack of data and then will humans Mm -hmm. always have an advantage in trading these things because people buy i would say the vast majority of people buying nfts today and and are are doing so to make money so they're placing bets yeah I wouldn't want to say that uh, humans will have an edge over computers in any discipline forever, uh, but in the foreseeable future, I don't see a computer replacing a successful human NFT trader, for that matter. Um, so yes, I think in the next decade or two, we will probably not see a computer uh, overtaking a human NFT trader, simply because it is so subjective uh, what we humans value, and I don't see a computer... Mm. getting anywhere close to predicting that accurately. 
Yeah. One thing I want to ask you is uh, you talked about earlier on and, and you frequently point to the value of people everywhere across the world having access to all markets, 24-7 liquidity without middlemen. Mm-hmm. What countries or groups of people benefit uh, the most? Wh- whose lives raise up quickest and the most from having access to that? Yeah, I think many people in emerging markets um, just think of South America, Latin America, uh, even Africa, of course, um, and also some parts of Asia um, will benefit from that greatly, um, that they now have a permissionless platform that empowers them uh, to at least virtually uh, trade, and that's our goal, pretty much any asset in the world, um, with a portfolio that can be as as little as $1 or $2 or can be as big as a million and you can trade 24-7 without having to pay fees. Uh, you can short every market um, and you get access to every market on the planet, essentially on one single platform. So I believe that these people in emerging markets benefit the most. With that being said, I also think that we have a very attractive offer for people in uh, in Europe or in the US uh, simply because we we uh, can offer trading and investing as it should be. And you've mentioned already initially, so uh, yes, you, you should want to have access to all the markets. You want to be able to short them. You want to be able to trade them with perfect liquidity, so no no constraints on that. You don't want to pay fees. Uh, you don't want to have slippage. Um, you uh, want to be able to leverage it. And you don't want to have to ask for permission to trade a market or for that matter, needing someone else selling you a stock when you want to buy it. So uh, what we're building is is really the, the challenger broker of the challenger brokers, <laughs> um, the unbroker, if you will. Um, uh, we're, we're building a platform that offers trading and investing as it should be in mm-hmm. an ideal world. It, um, I, I, I think that's brilliant. When, say, say one thing I'm curious about is the... Um, proportional size of the secondhand betting market that you're creating versus the actual exchange that determines say pricing because the say apple price for simplicity it's pushed up and it's pushed down and it finds its price through that supply and demand equilibrium changes all the time based on how much demand or supply there is Uh, i should say yeah supply being the desire to sell versus the desire to buy if that if those traders were to move to the secondhand market, say, just for simplicity's sake, say half the traders that are trading uh, stocks today move to move to your exchange at Morpher, and they're trading secondhand, does the, does the impact of pricing become more volatile, where when you have less people trading on the firsthand markets, I mean, eventually, if you move down to like, 1% of people trading on that the stock, how, how does this have you thought about that or the impacts of, of that mm. potentially happening yeah so um, spot markets don't go away and derivative markets can always be orders of magnitude bigger than the spot markets you see the same okay. with commodities essentially so with oil or or gold um those are super important markets uh, for for the, the global economy oil for example um and yet it the most trading volume happens actually on the derivatives markets so on the futures markets because they're easier accessible they're easier tradable so very very little people actually uh ask for delivery of the crude oil contracts that they trade so actually uh, it's it's maybe 90 95 percent of all people just are interested in 
the price of oil and are just trading futures and maybe 5%, and that's that's a very high estimate now, maybe 5% actually are looking to get physical delivery of the underlying commodity. So derivatives markets can be orders of magnitude bigger than um, the underlying spot markets and work perfectly fine. And uh, we are one level even above derivatives, we are virtual derivatives with Morpher. So there is no feedback loop to the underlying market whatsoever. Um, and um, yeah, already, as you have mentioned, yeah, if everyone wins on Morpher, if winning should be uh, super easy, then you have to be still better than, than the other traders. And if winning on Morpher is hard, uh, it's easier for you individually to win. Uh, so you have to beat the inflation rate uh, on, on Morpher, and, but you also have to do that as a regular trader. Um, you can make uh, 10% on the stock market, but if inflation is 7, you have actually just made 3%, even if you have now 10% more dollars than in the year before. So inflation rate is something that exists in traditional markets. It exists on Morpher, and derivatives markets can always be orders of magnitude bigger than the underlying spot markets and still work perfectly fine. This might be a dumb question, but how does the derivative market uh, affect, if it does at all, the spot market? And the spot markets are, when you say spot market, that's just referring to the the actual people trading goods and services and the pricing of that. So oil from people from like an airline company who wants to receive oil. What what happens? Is there is there a feedback loop? Like does the spot market get influenced by the derivative market or is it or not? Yes, definitely. So on, on uh, traditional two-sided exchanges, and let's take maybe uh, the oil market again, uh, sp- uh, the spot market and the derivative markets uh, influence each other uh, very much. Uh, so there are some some traders that do just uh, carry trades. So they purchase something right now and sell it at the same time uh, three months in the future and just keep it in, in the meantime and uh, pocket the difference and so on. So yes, uh, derivatives markets and spot markets are uh, highly correlated on, on two-sided marketplaces. Um, that is something that is, won't be true in that, in that sense for Morpha. Uh, so, uh, we are completely decoupled from the underlying market. Um, and this is both a risk, but it is also a huge opportunity because if we see that, um, uh, that traders make use of this systematically on our platform, uh, we can actually turn their collective predictions into a, a well-performing fund product. And um, uh, consistently beat the markets. Then, yeah. So, if there should ever be a, um, a feedback loop between traditional markets and uh, our platform, uh, then we can use that feedback loop to again trade the spot prices ourselves to eliminate the feedback loop on the one side and to profit from it on the other side. So that's to us more a business opportunity than something that we're <laughs> afraid of happening. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, the feedback loops between derivatives and spot markets. Uh, last question for you. On price with the MPH, I think it is, more for token. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Um, do, you, do you think of this as an investment that people would consider? I mean, if they think, hey, if Morpher is going to be successful, I'm not going to be doing day trading, but I believe in Martin. I think the team, team's great. Do you look at this as a a vehicle for investment that the token, if the project is successful, should increase in value? Yeah, so by design, the token will increase in value if the project is successful, simply because there is a finite number of token. And uh, the more people are using the Morpho network, the Morpho protocol, the more demand for the token will be there and uh, the, the, the higher the price, because if, if a finite supply meets uh, rising demand, uh, prices go up naturally. Of course, the opposite is also true. So should we not uh, 
build a product that people appreciate uh, or not grow fast enough or anything like that, or if the crypto markets um, are entering crypto winter as it appears to be now the case, then of course the price of our token uh, will also go down with it. So and I'm not saying that it is guaranteed that, uh, that our token goes up. Um, I definitely can recommend for people who want to have the perfect trading experience to, to buy the token because they, they need the token in order to uh, trade on Morpha with zero fees and infinite liquidity. And beyond that, of course, yeah, if someone is interested in, in uh, participating in, in our project, then uh, of course they are invited to, uh, to buy the token. But I cannot make any guarantees, of course, <laughs> as mm -hmm. to the value of the <laughs> token, because it's more, more a currency in our case. Yeah, you can think of it as the settlement currency uh, of our protocol. Um, so if you making uh, benefiting off of Morpher is uh, to a large part dependent on you, because you can use the token to make a bet on Morpher, and that bet can either be successful or unsuccessful. And yes, there is the additional risk that the token might go up or down uh, in between, but you are really uh, in charge of your own fate, so to say. Yeah, And you can use the token um, to much greater effect if you don't rely on just uh, prices will probably go up with the token uh, versus I invest the token and I do something with it actively. Mm. Well, I should mention you guys have raised some money. You've raised, I believe, eight million, nine million, somewhere in that range. Um, yeah. yeah, eight and a half, and yeah. Mm -hmm growing are you guys a remote team are you only located in europe yeah at the moment uh, we are uh, almost entirely all in the same office so we have we have two remote employees uh, we're still very early on so early stage nice. we're uh, uh, 12 people at this point um we're working based out of vienna out of austria um so my co-founder and and i uh, moved to Austria uh, when we started the company, uh, pretty pretty much right after uh, incorporation. Uh, we have raised uh, eight eight point five million so far uh, from Tim Draper's fund uh, as our biggest supporter and backer, um, but also from the Austrian deep tech fund uh, Apex Ventures and RTP Ventures, um, an international uh, venture investor from from the UK and and, and Canada and then Russia. Um, so interesting backgrounds. And um, yeah, we are building Morpher based out of Europe with an almost exclusive on-site uh, team. So we're pretty old school, yeah. <laughs> mm, but we're nice open, man. of course, to to remote as well. And are, are you writing publicly online anywhere? Do you have a Twitter or a uh, blog or anything that you are? Yeah, we have both. So we have we have a company blog, uh, and we do also have a company Twitter. So the Twitter handle is Morpher underscore IO. Uh, that's our Twitter handle, and we also have a Discord community, um, and you can find link to, links to all of this on our website. That's on on morpher dot com. Uh, uh, morpher. How about you? More things <laughs> changing uh, into a market. Yeah, I also have a, a personal Twitter, um, but to be honest, I don't really use it a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> I rather use the company channels uh, for for my communication. Sure. I sorry, I interrupted you there. Morpher comes from the morphous to change. Is the etymology of that? Yeah, the idea is uh, you can morph the token into any asset of the world. Uh, so into any other asset. Morpher token can become any other asset, and thus you morph it. You just change its shape into what you want it to be. I dig it, man. I love this project. It's actually a lot simpler uh, structured, a lot simpler conceptually than uh, it comes off as. Like it's a it's a it's a betting market that has its own independence currency, and it's like yeah. 
that that makes a lot of sense. You're not integrating into exchanges mm-hmm. or placing trades or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I love it. I can't wait till you launch in the US selfishly and uh, mm-hmm. keep kicking ass, man. Congrats on all the product. Congrats awesome. on all the success so far. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.